So when I was a junior in high school, I read a book and I had to do a book report on this book. It was Nathaniel Hawthorne's novel, The Scarlet Letter. Some of you might have read it in your day as well and might remember it. The Scarlet Letter is a story, a, a fictional story of a, of a woman by the name of Hester Prynne. Hester Prynne is impregnated outside of marriage. She bears a child outside of marriage, and so her, her sin of adultery is, is obvious to all. And as a result of this sin that led her to becoming pregnant, Hester is forced to, to stand on a scaffold in the city center for all to come by and to scoff at her, to, to condemn her, to, to ridicule her. For three hours, she is forced to stand on this scaffold. At the end of those three hours, she has a, a scarlet letter sewn onto her clothing, a giant A, to symbolize what they desire for her to be known as for the rest of her life, an adulteress. Her sin and her shame as a reminder of her sin and her shame. In that book, Hawthorne writes the following sentence. He writes, when an uninstructed multitude attempts to see with its eyes, it is exceedingly apt to be deceived. What happens when an uninstructed multitude, us, attempt to see with our eyes the challenges, the the sins, the issues of others? A multitude that is not truly the judge, though sometimes we think we are, a multitude that is not the jury, though we think we are the jury, when we try to be both when we look upon the sins of others. I would say that what we get when an uninstructed multitude, un- uninstructed multitude attempts to see others and their challenge and their sins through our own eyes, through our human eyes and through our sinful eyes, that what we get is the modern society that we currently live in. A modern society that uses their words, whether in written form or in spoken form or in tweeted form, to drag others metaphorically through the mud, all in the name of accountability or, or justice. We are a society which metaphorically pins scarlet letters on politicians and and public figures and private figures on on anyone and everyone that that we think has done something wrong and others deserve to scoff and mock them. In this first sermon of our new series, it's a four-part series entitled Words Matter, I want us to talk about our words And I want us to look at the example of Jesus and how he used his words, but not just how he used his words, but but more specifically, I want you to see how the timing of how he used his words to address and to deal with the sins of others. Open your Bibles with me to the book of John chapter eight. Open your Bibles with me to the book of John chapter eight. And while you're opening your Bibles there, I I hope you heard the pronoun I used that when I said what I hope we get out of this sermon is that we will, that we collectively will think about the words and the timing of the words and how we use those words. I said we intentionally because I am in this boat. It is a problem that I possess. A couple weeks ago in our staff meeting, I was talking to our pastoral team and, and I said, you know, I need you to pray for this sin, this struggle in my life. And and hold me accountable, and you all can pray for this sin and this struggle in my life as well. I have this sin 
uh, of venting, venting, V-E-N-T-I-N-G, venting. Some of you, I think, might have the same sin as well. Don't, don't nod or smile too big right now. You, you know this sin. This is the sin uh, where we re- rehearse the wrongs of others in the presence of others, but never in front of that own person. And because, and because we call it venting, it's justifiable. It's not gossiping. It's not complaining. We tell someone all about how wrong someone is or how bad a situation is. And then we say, I, I just needed to vent. Thanks for listening. Or, or, you know, I just needed to, to, I was just venting. You, you understand. I was just venting. And therefore, it's somehow uh, justifiable. So I have this problem with the sin of venting, and I ask my staff to, to pray for me about that. So I am in the same boat. But you know, when we vent, all we've really done, all we've really done is drag someone through the mud in the presence of another human being, a human being who likely cannot do anything about the situation. We drag them through the mud. And now they have to deal with our negative perception about this person and they have to process that person through our negative perception. But you know, it's okay because we were just venting. It's probably why Proverbs chapter 29 and verse 11 tells us that the wise man, or that a fool actually, that a fool gives vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. I want to be a wise man. I want to be less like me. I want to be more like Jesus. And so that's what we're going to look at about how Jesus dealt with when he saw a wrong in something or when a wrong was done to him or a wrong was done to another, how Jesus dealt with these situations. John chapter eight, beginning in verse two, John chapter eight, beginning in verse two. At dawn, Jesus appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery and they made her stand there before the group. Long before, long before there was Facebook or Twitter or TikTok or Snapchat or whatever other means that are used to publicly put people on scaffolds, long before Nathaniel Hawthorne wrote about a fictional character by the name of Hester Prynne having to stand on a scaffold in front of people, long before that, there were people being brought before others to put them on public display, to shame them, to use them to make a point about sin. There were sinners in this room. The Bible continues. There were sinners in that room. The Bible continues that they brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group. And then verse four, and the teachers of the law and the teachers of the law said, to Jesus. This woman was caught in the very act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now, what do you say? They were using this question to trap Jesus in order to have a basis for accusing him. Let's pause there. Let's think about all the sinners that are in this picture. Let's think about all the sinners in this picture. One of the sinners was, of course, the woman who was caught in adultery. Hopefully all of us understand and can affirm that adultery is a sin. Here's this woman. She's caught in adultery. But there was other sinners there as well. In fact, everybody else that was there was a sinner. But there was actual sin that was happening in this scene. The teachers of the law are not actually sincere in their desire to stand for the law of God. In fact, 
The Bible tells us that, that the only reason why they brought up the law was in order to trap Jesus. They were, they were trying to figure out a way around Jesus or to utilize the law in some way, manipulate the law in some way in order to, to have an aha moment and say, see, Jesus, we got you. Whenever we use the law in a manner in which to justify ourselves or when we use the law in a manner to hurt someone else, we are using the law in a sinful way. And that's what they're doing here. But not only are they using the law in a sinful way, but they're actually breaking the law themselves. Because Deuteronomy chapter 22 and verse 22 says that if any, if any individuals, both man and, or if any individuals are caught in the act of adultery, then both parties are to be brought before the people for the judgment that is, or the consequences that are to take place. And yet here in this story, all we have is one woman. If it's true what they said, that she was caught in the very act of adultery, but then why is she standing there by herself? Where is the man? Where is the other party that was an accomplice to this act? They are breaking the law even as they are pointing to the law in order to have an opportunity to condemn her, to prove their point, to get at Jesus. They're willing to use their words. And, and, and do we do this, y'all? They were willing to use their words in harm of another human in order to justify their belief of Jesus is wrong. Do you, do I, do we ever use our words in a way that harms others by, by pointing out their sins, their wrongs, to justify our own feelings, our own anger, our, our own points of view. Don't raise your hand, maybe close your eyes, don't look at your spouse right now when I say this, but how many of you by chance have been in a fight and someone said to you, well, you're doing this, and then you say, yeah, but you know what you did? To prove your point, right? Don't we do that? We, we do that in, in a thing to justify ourselves. They're using these words in order to justify themselves. They're willing to harm another to justify themselves. We see in this story, though, that the teachers of the law are correct about one thing. This woman is a sinner. There's no place in the story that Jesus denies that. There's no place in which he says, no, you're wrong. She's not a sinner. But any time that we share another person's sin with others to justify our frustration of their position, we are then sinning too. When you share someone else's sins in order to point out how wrong they are, you are sinning too. I am sinning too. But notice how Jesus reacts in this moment. The Bible tells us that Jesus in this moment, verse six, but Jesus, the end of verse six, but Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. Jesus begins to use words also here. They're using their words to attack this woman. Jesus begins to use his words also. And according to Ellen White, what, what Jesus began to write there in the dust of the temple floor, where he began to just list certain sins. He began to list certain sins. Most of the time when, when, when I've read this story, and maybe when you've read this story, we see this moment as, as kind of a, a gotcha moment, like, ah, because we're, we're, we're sympathizing with the woman who's being attacked and, and we have this animosity towards the men and the people that are attacking her. And we see Jesus, oh, he's beginning to write their sins and there's this kind of gotcha moment. 
and in a way it is because eventually Jesus writing in the dust of the floor and, and the words that Jesus will speak in just a moment, the gentle words that Jesus will speak in a moment did lead them to stop picking on this woman. It did lead them to lead the woman alone. But I also see in this moment an act of compassion. I see in this moment right here an act of love and an act of grace, not just for this woman, but for these men who are also sinning. That's the thing. Whenever I read stories about Jesus, and sometimes we're led to think like Jesus is on that person's side and he really doesn't like those people. And what actually is the truth is Jesus loves everybody in the moment, in the setting. And Jesus has love for these men too. Jesus wrote in the sand, in the dust, where, where it could be blown away these men's sins. But he didn't write their, their names in such a way that, or he didn't write their sins in such a way that, that it said their names and, and then they could be dragged through the mud. He wrote in the dust that was not permanent, that was not directly attacking them by name. Jesus, in, in his divine wisdom, in his, in his eloquence, in his power, in his majesty, in his, in his right as a perfect and sinless savior, Jesus could have used his words and he could have turned on them and said, hey, Jack, listen to me. You're condemning this woman, but, but why don't we talk about that thought that you had about this woman that was not your wife last week? Hey, Samuel, you know how you were talking about, about how we need to give an honest tithe, but you only gave 8%, but you told people it was 10%. Should we talk about that, Samuel? You could have said, and Jacob, weren't you the one that led the people to where this lady's establishment was? Could it be, Jacob, because you've been there a time or two yourself? Jesus could have done something to, to shame them, to, to bring them into, into public rebuke as well. But Jesus doesn't do that. Even with these people that we're set up to, to think like, oh, these are the enemies and Jesus is against them. Even with these men that are trying to condemn him, these men that are trying to destroy him and they're willing to use this woman to do it, Jesus writes in the dust of the floor so that it communicates only to their hearts. Yet even in Jesus' gentleness and his trying to be gentle, uh, these, these individuals, they don't quite get it. They don't quite understand and so they push further. The Bible tells us that when they continued questioning that Jesus straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And then again, he stooped on the ground and began writing in the sand. Now, Jesus, with those first words that he's actually spoken in the story, he is acknowledging, he is pointing something out that we all know, that we all understand that we are all sinners. But again, his position is not to publicly ridicule them. He says this, this is, this is important. He says only the words necessary to make his point. How much better off would we be if when we were talking about others' sins or others' challenges, even in appropriate circles, that we used fewer words to make the point. Not the need to get into salacious details. Oh, let me tell you one more thing about this person. Let me tell you one more thing. 
He says what we all know is true and what we should all remember. What we should all remember when we're ready to attack whether someone we know or someone we don't know, something we should all remember when we are on the verge of spreading the sins of others in the name of accountability or in the name of justice or in the name of venting, we should all remember he who is without sin, you be the one to first say something. You be the one to first tweet something. You be the first one to like this post that is targeting someone. You without sin, you be the first one. I think if we paused and thought about that, we would think about Nathaniel Hawthorne's words in which he said, if truth were to be shown everywhere, a scarlet letter would have blazed forth on many a bosom. I would dare say it's on every bosom. What would your letter be? I might have like 12 letters on mine. What would your letter be? But Jesus doesn't pin the scarlet letter on these men for all to see. He is gracious even to them with his words, saying only that which is necessary to address the point. And it got the point. In verse nine, we then read, at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. He let them walk away with their dignity. The older ones first until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. And now Jesus, for the first time, for the first time in this whole setting, turns to address the woman with his words. The Bible says that Jesus straightened up again, that he stood up again and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And, and, and in my mind's eye, I see this moment where this woman is, is starting to dare to look up. Because I imagine that in that moment that when Jesus said, he who is without sin, you cast the first stone that her whole body seized up because she's with the teachers of the law. She's with the, the Pharisees. She's with the leaders of the church. Surely one of them is without sin. Surely one of them has a right to stone her. And so she's probably tensing up. You've been in those moments where, you, where you, you've had this sudden adrenaline rush and then what you thought was gonna happen didn't happen. I had one just last night. I can tell you about this from just last night. We were backing out of a driveway and we had some chairs in the back of our car and we were backing out of the driveway and those chairs slid and I heard them bang and I thought it was the chairs, but my wife sitting next to me in the passenger seat, Christina, she reacts, she goes, <gasps> in such a way and like let out this other noise I can't even get my throat to do. Let out this noise that I was convinced that I hit somebody and all of a sudden all that adrenaline rushes through my body and even now as I'm saying, I'm getting a headache again. You know how that goes? And then I go, what was that? And the, and the boys in the back go, mom, it was just the chairs. And she goes, oh, okay, never mind." But by that point, I was like, oh, you, you know how you get you that rush and then it goes away and then you have a headache and you're kind of shaky and you're, uh, you lost a little bit of your breath. I had that moment last night. I can imagine this woman when she hears, he is without sin, cast a fourth stone. And she's thinking, she just, she clinches and she's waiting, that adrenaline rushing through her. She's anticipating a rock in the back of her head. And then nothing. And now, and now she, she senses that people are moving away. She doesn't know for sure. And Jesus asks her this question. Woman, where are those that condemn you? And, and, and she's probably still shaking a little shorter breath. And she looks around and she says, no one, sir. And then Jesus says these words that I, that I hope that you've heard in your own heart. I know that I've heard them in my heart on a, 
uh, numerous times. Jesus says to her, then neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Go now, as the NIV says, and leave your life of sin. Jesus' words are full of grace. His gentleness is full of grace. But, but what is so beautifully gracious to me about these words of Jesus? What's so beautifully gracious to me about these words is the timing of Jesus' words. He refers to her sin only when there are no others around to hear about it. The only time he addresses a person particularly straight on and their sin, he waits for everybody else to be gone. He's not standing up and saying, hey, you, you did this. You, we don't like you, A, B, C, D. And he waits till they're completely alone to say to her, now stop sinning. Go and leave your life of sin. The timing of Jesus's words is just full of grace and love and kindness. There are three points I want you to take away really quick. Three points I want you to take away from this story. First, Jesus in this story, Jesus in this story never uses his words to encourage a public flogging of accountability. He never uses his words to encourage a public flogging of accountability. Though in each heart, the, the, the teachers of the law and the woman, he held them accountable. He held them each one accountable, but he, he never does it in such a way that it's a public flogging, a public three hours on a scaffold for others to scoff at. Second point, Jesus in this story never seeks to shame any, any of the sinners. He never seeks to shame any of the sinners. Folks, if you've sinned as bad as I have, then you know this. The shame of sin is enough and you don't need anybody else to add to that. You don't need anybody else to add to that. So Jesus never uses his words to shame any of the sinners. But the third point, Jesus also in this story never condones sin or avoids addressing it. In this story, Jesus never condones sin or avoids addressing it. He condemns the sin and addresses the sin in a way that allows every person in this story to walk away with some level of dignity. With conviction, but with dignity. We are in a world that does the opposite of all three of these. Sins that are actually quite public and quite out there, we don't ever address in others. We address them privately, as we do. But we almost, in a way, condone those sins. We are more than happy to like someone shaming someone else on some social media. We use our words to encourage public floggings in various ways. Our words matter. Our words matter in how we address the sins and the wrongs of others, the timing in which we address the sins and the wrongs of others. Listen to this. How we do these things and how we use these words brings to light more about our heart than about the heart of those people who have committed the sins. Ellen White, in the book Desire of Ages, 
wrote this. She says, those of us, those of us who are forward in accusing others, those of us who are zealous in bringing others to justice, those of us who are aggressive in pointing out the sins of others, do so, listen to what she says, we do so because we love sin more than we love the sinner. In other words, we are, are, there's something about their sin that we're almost attracted to. And rather than recognizing the sin in us that's drawn to that, we're just going to attack those people. It's easier also to see the sin in someone else and then justify our own love for our own sins and so attack their sins. She says, those who are most aggressive, those who are most zealous, those who are most forward in doing this do so because they love sin more than they love sinners. But she says, whereas the heart of Jesus hates the sin, but always loves the sinner. And therefore he's compassionate. Christian love is slow to censure, quick to discern the sorrow over sin in others ready to forgive, ready to encourage, ready to set the wanderer on the path of righteousness and to walk with them in that path gently and lovingly and graciously. Brothers and sisters, your words matter. My words matter. I don't want to be like this world. I don't want to be like my own nature. I want to be like Jesus. As we're about to sing in hymn number 465, I heard the voice of Jesus. I want people when they hear my words, I want people when they read my words to hear and to read the words of Jesus. Remember this. Remember this this week, folks. And remember this as you go forward and you think about other people's sins and other people's struggles. The Jesus, who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who is perfect in every, every way. Jesus, who has the right to write your sins across the heavens, chooses to write them in the dust of your heart where only you can know. And he also writes next to it, neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. May we treat others as Jesus treats us.